0: All right. Well, good morning, everyone. I guess I guess we're it's time to start. I've been given the thumbs up, um, so I want to welcome. I've been here for a while, so I want to welcome everybody to to Bible study. And everybody that's joining us via live stream, and we're going to talk about uh, uh, Jesus talking to Peter about his denial and about how all the disciples are going to scatter. In other words, when when things get hard and scary and they, start, and they take Jesus, the disciples are going to be frightened and their faith is going to be shaken, just like all of our faith is shaken one, at one time or another because of whatever circumstance. And then we're going to talk about Jesus agonizing in the garden. And what, is, what does that mean? Is that uh, a show of weakness that Jesus asks that this burden be lifted from him? How, how do we look at that? When he knows that's the very reason that he was ever born in the first place, was for these things to happen. He's God in the flesh, but being in the flesh is painful. Yes. Right, we're going we're gonna to talk about sometimes how painful being human is. To, to have to feel pain, fear, depression, be hungry, thirsty. you're welcome just okay you got it. Okay and uh your handouts that I that I made I've um that we had a little bit of fun handing out thanks thanks Renee right um is I kind of put more of a life application spin on it. And I know that this is the, the passion narrative here where Jesus is about to suffer. And I don't want to take away from that. But I think we need to sometimes look at, you know, what does this mean for us? How does this affect our lives? How do we react in similar situations? You know, if Jesus was asking for pain to be taken from him in times of, of, of fear and anxiety and knowing what's coming, uh, how do we react in those situations? I don't ever think we could say Jesus lost faith. That would not be the appropriate way to phrase that. But the, but the disciples do. So we're going to look into that a little bit and maybe point some fingers at Peter like we, we always do. So uh, why, why don't we begin with a word of prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we ask you to be with us during this study to give us wisdom as we, we look at your word and try to understand uh, all the meaning, uh, not just for for your son and for the disciples and for our salvation, but what some of this means in our lives, what what it means to lose faith, what it means to be strengthened. Uh, we can lose faith in times of plenty, and we can lose faith in when times are painful and hard. We just ask you to walk with us during this study as we look at your word and and understand that Uh, That you are with us no matter where we go and no matter what happens into this life and into the next. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're starting at Mark 14, verse 27. And Jesus is about to make a prediction for all these these disciples, especially Peter, that steps up and says, Oh, it's not going to be me. I'm going to be the strong one. I'm never going to fall away. Yes, ma'am. Oh, yeah. Oh. Okay, thank you. So here is Jesus' prediction. And they had just finished the Last Supper, and Jesus is telling them, I'm not going to drink of the fruit of the vine with you till I drink it again with you in my Father's kingdom. You never know if the disciples truly... Um, comprehend exactly what's going on when he says things like this we have the benefit of hindsight and explanation and things so um, some of this might be this language might be mysterious to the disciples now I think Peter gets it for the most part because he says when Jesus says you know I must suffer and die said, oh, surely Lord that's never gonna happen and we know Jesus responded to that get behind me Satan I never, I never really thought about that. Yeah, that's how, good catch, Dennis. I've never put that together before, but yeah. He said, Dennis said that on the road to Emmaus, when he's talking to the two guys and they, they don't know who he is until he reveals himself when he breaks bread and gives it to him, but there's never any wine. And they, they don't mention him giving them wine. And that's when he disappeared from their sight. Yeah, I will. I'm sorry. I need to be mindful of repeating what people, their questions and things, not only for everybody here, but for people joining us online. And I uh, um, I haven't been here for a while, so I'm giving myself some excuses for messing up. All right. Okay. Well, let's begin with Jesus's uh, prediction here that the disciples are going to fall from faith and fall away because things are about to get dicey here when Jesus is arrested. All right. Jesus tells the disciples, you will fall away. And he quotes Zechariah 13, and we'll read that here in a second. Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Okay, before we look at Zechariah, I want to I think about these words here. You know, I, how easy is it to sometimes promise something that sounds brave and, and strong? I will march with you into anywhere. All right, let's go. What you, you meant now? I'm, I mean, you know, people, it's easy sometimes, and you think you mean it. I'm guessing a lot of people say things like this, and I think they mean it at the time. But I think you really don't know until the time comes, do I do I really have the courage to do these things? You know, things that, what, you know, talk is cheap, is that the, is that the term? Uh, and Jesus already is telling them, you are going to fall away. You're going to lose faith. You are going to get frightened. And of course, Peter's always fighting, nah, not me, not me. And I'm hoping I wouldn't be the one to say that, but I, I, I don't know. Maybe some of us would be, would want to assure Jesus that you would not be the one who would lose heart or turn away from him because you were fearful of what might happen to you. So let's take a look at Zechariah 13 and the prophecy there. Mm -hmm. Okay. And here is the shepherd struck and the sheep scattered. And this begins at verse seven. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds will be struck down and perish, yet one-third will be left in it. This third I will bring into the fire. I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, these are my people, and they will say... The Lord is our God. Okay, so 7. says here in my notes here, it says, Just before his arrest, Jesus quoted from this verse, referring to himself and his disciples, which is also noted in Matthew, he knew beforehand that his disciples would scatter when he was arrested. The Roman sword was the military power that put Christ to death. Okay, so, Jesus knows what's about to happen. He knows how the disciples are going to react. Even after his execution, you know, we just got past Easter. and we're, What do we have? It Not last week, but the week before when we do the Doubting Thomas text in John 20. Um, we hear that the disciples are behind locked doors, for they were fearful of the Jews. They're still afraid. So, you know, it didn't fear acts on our hearts and makes us maybe not be as tough as we would like to be in the face of you know, adversity or, or somebody coming after us. We want to stand firm. We want to think that no matter what, we would never have our faith shaken or we would stand firm against, at somebody's side no matter what we were facing, but we, we just don't ever know. Sometimes fear gets the best of us. So the shepherd being struck. That would be Jesus being seized, being arrested, and being led away to his death, being put to death. And that would leave the disciples, at least for a moment, alone. What do sheep do without a shepherd? They they scatter. They don't know what to do. Because you know sheep, if you say they're dumb, uh, sheep are not smart. And we are all sheep. And without a shepherd, we don't know what to do. Our, our lives become complete chaos. And we live being controlled by fear or being controlled by whatever the world tells us is right. Because we don't know where to go or who to look to or what hope to have without a shepherd. And the man that the disciples have followed for three years, seeing him raise the dead, heal the sick give sight to the blind, tell the Pharisees, put, put them in their place where they can't even reply to him, try to trick him, and now he's going to lay down to the slaughter. They probably can't understand that. Why would you do that? I'm, I'm guessing they're thinking. I think that's why Peter said, "Lord, surely, Lord, this will never happen when he said, I have to suffer and die, because that's not the way Peter would have things take place. It's probably not the way we would want things to take place. God's all powerful. So use it. What, why are you going to allow this to happen to you? So the disciples have to be confused, scared, and not know exactly what to do. Yeah, I believe in this Jesus. I've seen him do all these amazing things. I believe in his word. But now I'm faint. my faith is really being tested. It just got real. My what I would think they believed, that their lives, their lives were on the line. I think that's why Thomas reacted the way he did about seeing the nails and putting his finger in the side. They were scared. I want to know that Jesus really kept his promise to return from the dead. I want to see it, because they were all frightened. Okay, so I have a question here. Um, how do we fall away when life makes devotion to God difficult for us? In other words, maybe we get an illness. Maybe we lose someone we love, whether it's, it's a brother, sister, parent, child, God forbid. And then that makes devotion to God difficult, I think. I can't relate to, to you know the loss of a child because I'm not a parent Um, but those of you that are parents and grandparents, I'm sure, I hope that's not happened to you, but you can imagine what that would feel like and that would test your faith. You know, I have a God that loves me, a God that promises me eternity, a God that forgives my sins, a God that blesses me each and every day. But when you're overwhelmed by something so painful, that's, that's a time when we can fall away. And I've heard people say, um, Unfortunately, it's usually pastors to somebody that's suffering or just gone through something horrendous or awful. That well, they just they just need to trust the Lord. Now that, that there's nothing that's true in and of itself, but maybe not an appropriate time to say that. You know, it, it's okay to be sad. It's okay to feel pain. Yeah, I mean. I think anybody's faith would be shaken when they're going through something like that. And for somebody from the outside to come in and say, well, you just, you just need to, to persevere and trust the Lord. and He's going to work through. I'm not making fun of that. But that's easy for somebody who's not feeling the pain to say to someone else who is. You know, God is always there. Yeah, Marty. When, when we, if we encounter someone we care about that's suffered a loss, right. this, this is just my opinion. I think Marty, Marty's asking, what, how, do we, how do we share God's love and our love with somebody who's gone through a loss? I think the best advice I've gotten and what I do usually is I don't say anything. I think, uh, you know, like Hagar, the ministry of presence sometimes is more than anything that can come out of your mouth. You're just there because if somebody asks us you know why did this happen i have to say i don't know because we don't i always go back to my old my old trustworthy standby when we go to joseph being thrown into the you know into the hole by his brothers now we know why how god worked through that pain in joseph's life because we have the bible that tells us to save those people all those people from famine but when hard things happen to us or people we love, we don't always know how God's working through that. Um, so for us to, to, to try and comment or try and find a way that, you know, well, here's what God's doing through your pain. Well, we don't really know. And yes. Yes. That's exactly what she she said, there are words sometimes. And what's that? I I told you, everybody, that I'm not a chapter and verse. I wish I was. But, you know, it said something about God knows sometimes our groanings are too deep for words. Um, That, yes. And I think sometimes we have to to go with that. There aren't any words sometimes. People just need to know that, Marty, that, that we're there. You know, because it's, I think, a little bit arrogant and and not so bright to think that you have some words of wisdom that's going to make somebody whose child just died feel better. You don't. But it's, it's enough for people to know, hey, this person cares enough just to be here with me. Just to sit here with me while I go through this awful, awful thing. Okay, so is Peter any weaker than the rest of us with his denial? No, no. Marty says no, and I, I agree. I'm sure we've all made, sometimes made promises to stand firm or, or you know, we're never going to lose heart. I'm going to go through this, and no matter what happens, I'm going to be the rock, and I'm never going to slip. We want to be that person. We want to be that spiritual rock for people that that are in need, but fear and when anxiety and or pain, physical pain or emotional pain, when those things hit us, we we can't always stand firm, and we don't. We react like someone who is scared or hurting does, and sometimes. That can be snapping, maybe snapping at somebody, you know, if you're not feeling well, or uh, just not knowing how to handle a situation. I don't, have you ever sat with somebody where they've had something so awful happen to them and you don't know what to say? Like, they they throw something on you, like they, I just, I just heard from my doctor that I got pancreatic cancer. That's the one I can think of that's, Usually terminal, um, and I've got six months to live. And other than I'm sorry, and I'm here for you, it, it, it's really a hard thing. You can't solve it. I mean, you can you can be. You can think that no matter what somebody brings you, you can be the spiritual rock and you'll have something really uplifting to say. But when people hit you with that out a left field, it's hard to know how to, what to say or how to deal with it. Now, that's not exactly what's going on with Peter here. He's being, he's promising Jesus that no matter what kind of enemies come at him because of Jesus, he, he's not going to back away. I will stand firm no matter what. Yes, no. Now, i saying Jesus already knows. He knows we're going to weaken. He knows when we're going to weaken. He knows when we're going to fall away. And he's not condemning Peter here. He's just saying, I know that your faith is going to get rattled. And you're going to deny me. But he's not saying, I'm going to hate you. Or I'm not going to love you anymore. Or I'm not going to be there for you because of it. I'm not going to forgive you. He's saying, this is what's going to happen. And just like, um, you know, when he talks about the betrayers at this table, well, you know, they say, surely not I. He, Is it me? Is it me? They want to know who you, who's going to be the weak one. I don't want it to be me. And then sometimes I think we say things that that we try to fool ourselves by promising ourselves, oh, it's, it's not going to be me. I'm going I'm to be the strong one. I'm not going to fall. Usually when I say that, that's usually about when I'm ready to crumble. So, um, so... I say here, what's the significance of the denial happening three times? Do you remember later on when Jesus has risen, what he says to Peter when he asks him, do you love me? Yeah, And, and Peter basically reacts by saying, why do you keep asking me this? Yes, I love you. And I think it makes him, it hurts his feelings. Do you not believe me? Do you not think that I will? And I think it's attributed to this that his his three times of denial yeah you know, three times being restored yes i love you feed my sheep feed my lambs but i think that also reminded him of the three times that he did uh, deny him. That yeah was a kick in, the, a kick in the in the back because yeah i think it was a reminder to him about the three Three times that he denied Jesus because, because he was it hurt his feelings. He was upset, and maybe that reminded him of when he was weak, and then reminded him before that of his promise that he wouldn't be weak. And we all break promises. Now, not everyone breaks promises intentionally. You know, some people. You know, some people's word words are. are in life. You know, sometimes when people promise you things, that that person. You, you, yeah, that's a good one. I'm going to say this one, and you might not like it. From, And this is why when I tell someone that uh, asks me for prayers, I pray for them right then and there. Not necessarily, you know, in front of them. But I stop. You're, you're in my prayers. That's sometimes another one. You know, um, let's do lunch or whatever. Now, not, most people mean it, I think, but I think sometimes it it, once in a while becomes a platitude, you know, something we say and never really act on. So I always tell people, from, not for their sake, not to look like such a great guy, but so I don't forget and become that guy. You know, I stop and say a prayer when I hang up with them or when they leave right then and there so I can make sure that I did that. Or else I forget. Yeah, Dennis, you can, but sometimes you know if somebody's in a hurry or they're just giving you a phone call or something like. That. But some people are uncomfortable. Yes, yeah, I I think you're right, Dennis, and I ask for that, but sometimes the the context of the situation is a little if they're. It doesn't always present itself. I don't think for you to pray with them right then and there. But anyway, when I tell people, you know, I'm gonna, I, if they say, say, please keep me in your, let's say it's an email. Then, you know, I do it right when I receive it. Or else, you know, I will be, there, oh, I will. I'll keep you, I'll keep you, you know, in my prayers. And, and I'm not making light of that comment. Don't, please don't misunderstand me. I do it because I don't want to forget to pray for people who ask me to you know, privately or just personally. Okay, so Jesus basically forgives them for the three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Even though you denied me three times, this three times that you say that you love me, I know you do. I just know that you're weak. I know that you're a sinner. And that's why I came. Okay. Yeah. Ah, why three? Well, I'm going to tell you, Dennis. And here, here's, here's what uh, theology has shown. I, I don't know. I, I, I. There are numbers repeated in the Bible. I guess maybe you're thinking Trinity. Is that what you're thinking? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yeah, that could be. There you go. Three days. A lot of threes. A lot of twelves. A lot of sevens. Is there a lot of tens? Yeah, the Revelation class. Yeah, me and Ben got a kick out of. We were just talking between the two of us about all the numbers and how people, you know, try to make the Book of Revelation and not necessarily in a Christian way about the numbers and the the bowls and the you know. I mean, some of them have meaning that we can we can see, but we can't. We don't necessarily have to establish a correlation between every symbol that's in the it, it's in the Revelation John got and you know what it means. Well, this is what you know. The beast coming out of the sea means. Now, we know that, but uh, that that gets to be tedious when we try to match everything up. But yeah, I think uh, I think three, though, Dennis, you're right. I think it's significant, yes. Exactly if that's talking about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I, I would just be guessing if I assured you of that. But Yes. Yes. Ah! That's that's great, Helen. I never thought about that. You, that that, <laughs> that Helen saying when we receive absolution in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is that Peter's absolution. Is is that why his his denying Jesus? Excuse me, three times turns into. Him being forgiven in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Do you love me, the Son? Do you love me, the Father? Do you love me, the Holy Spirit? That is something I've never thought about before, but it's that makes a lot of sense. Okay. So let me ask this. Oh no! Do I have that? Oh no! We'll get to that when I get to Judas. Okay. Okay, Jesus promises to be faithful no matter what. How does that help us when our faith is weak? So when you say, th- yeah, Marty. It's like when our mom says, I'll love you forever. <laughs> we, b- we believe that. Mm-hmm. It, when your your mom or dad tells you I'm going to love you no matter what and forever, that makes you feel safe. That makes you feel secure because even when you mess up, even when you feel you're not deserving of that love, you know. And we'll use you know mom and dad as a as a reference or a me- I don't want to say metaphor, but for for God's love because it's our heavenly Father. Uh, we know that whatever we do, our moms and our dads, who's ever, who's ever raising us are gonna love us no matter what. They don't love us because we are such great kids to raise, or that we're talented, or they love us simply like God does, simply because we're their child, and for no other reason than that. And sometimes I think, I don't know that we do it on purpose, but I used to do it. When my, when my parents first got divorced, Um, I ended up being raised by my dad, but my mom took me for a little while. And I remember my dad, um, picked me up from my mom's one time for, and I knew that he wanted to see me. I knew he missed me a lot. And, uh, he said, when we get home, you need to clean your room. So I'm not cleaning cleaning my room. I'm not doing that. He said, if you don't, I'm going to, I'm going to take you right back to your mom's. And I knew he I, and I thought he wasn't gonna do that because it would have broke his heart to do it. And I said, Well I take me back to my mom's, I'm not cleaning that room. And I know it tore his heart out, but he took me back to my mom's. Well, he knew if he started letting me get away during that time that it, it wouldn't that wasn't gonna be helpful to me. So he did what hurt him to help me. And you know, I think sometimes we can we look at Jesus that way, he does did what hurt him, what made him suffer, what put him in agony, so we wouldn't have to be there like a good parent, even though we don't call him the Father, you know our God, we are his children, and I think we know <laughs> I got a kick out of this helen you you told me, and I quit. When, we talk, when you talked about the one time about these commentaries, I pulled one out. Sometimes I do it just for, just for kicks and giggles. And you're gonna love the way this guy writes about Jesus's, you know, his faithfulness and our being faithful even when we're not. Um, where is it? Oh, okay, Jesus holds fast to his forecast promising his own post, post-mortem fidelity. That just means faithfulness even after he has died and rosy. Who talks like that? You know, I mean, if I read this, you would get a kick out of it. because You ever heard some people use big words just because they want to impress somebody? This could have been written a lot simpler. I saw that when I was preparing for this study, and I, just, I thought you'd get a kick out of it. But Jesus remains faithful through death, up to death, and even after death knowing that we can't. That's the whole reason that God is faithful. You think about the Israelites out in the wilderness. God remained faithful to them, even when they fell away from him. I'm going to let you be carried off into exile, but I am going to bring you back. And you know, God's always, I, 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 knowing that they didn't have the power to do anything for themselves. So I think knowing that we don't have the power, that we don't have the strength, but that God does. That in, in Jesus, we can be forgiven for anything. And no matter what, we're going to have eternity because we look to the cross. We don't look to ourselves to be saved. We don't look to ourselves to, to get through things that are tough. Because when we do, we just end up in more misery and hopelessness. Okay. Okay. So Mark 14:32. I'll read this part, and then we'll, we'll chop it up. Okay. Then they went to a, pl- a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Let us go, here comes my betrayer. Okay. Now I've got the first question here. Does this mean that Jesus did not want to do his father's will? Did he want the burden of our sin and what he had to do to pay for it be lifted from his shoulders? Is that what he wanted? His human side. Human beings feel fear, right? We feel pain. We feel being overwhelmed. Now, sometimes in our lives, that causes us to sin. I was doing a Bible study uh, on Mark at at Copperstone Assisted Living yesterday, and we were talking about um, how... Either side, we're talking about the parable of the soils and um, how sometimes either extreme can cause us to fall away from God. And here's what I mean. You have one side where you have, let's say, your life becomes similar. I say Job. But I don't think any of us could ever suffer that much. But you suffer loss. Someone you love is taken. Or you get a disease. Or some financial burden just wipes you out. Or all these things happen at once. It seems like these things seem to come in clusters. It's never one thing at a time. And you think, I can't take any more of a spiritual, emotional, and physical beating anymore. I can't take any more. And sometimes that causes people to either stop believing in God, stop worshiping God, stop trusting God. I can honestly, this is no pat on my back. It's just I, I have never been angry with God or thought there was no God because of awful things that are happening to me. Because I was always that person that believed, even though I know the Bible says differently, that God was going to punish me. I've always thought I've gotten a better life than I deserve and that some, somehow payback was going to get me. Not, not, not a Christian way of thinking, but a broken, human, simple way of thinking sometimes. Even though we know God doesn't work that way, because we know there are non-believers who do evil all the time, whose lives right here on earth are like a bowl of cherries. Got plenty of money, plenty of friends, fame, notoriety. They just keep right on sinning. But we know that if they got, God forbid, they got hit by a truck, none of that would mean a thing. So I think when we look at Jesus, we see the human pain speaking out. I don't want to endure this burden. I don't want to just call it physical pain. I don't want to just call it death because other human beings, you know, have died and suffered for other people. But he's about to have God's God turned his back, his heavenly father turned his back on him, forsake him, and he is going to suffer the wrath of God on the cross for every man, woman, and child, and every sin they've ever committed on the cross. And I don't think we can comprehend what kind of spiritual agony that that would have brought Jesus. Knowing that this was his purpose from the time he was born. He's flesh and blood. I think you could say, you know, did he scream when they pounded the nails into his hands? Does that mean he was weak? I don't think so. He was in pain. And right here, he's in emotional pain. He's in spiritual pain. That's, that's my take on it. Yes, Marty? Well, no, yeah, you mean be ang- you've been angry with God? I, that wasn't I wasn't. Let me explain when I say I've never been angry with God because I had the I have the faulty thinking sometimes that the chicken my chickens are coming home to roost, that for everything that I've done wrong, this is the payback. I'm suffering, I'm suffering the wrath of God for what I've done, and that's not how God works. So, both both of our thinking is faulty there, Marty. Just because you know faith of human beings isn't perfect. You get angry with God, I don't, but I think God is acting in a vengeful manner toward me, and that's not right either. Um, And then some people just say, you know, there is no God, because we hear the old arguments from people, and I get it, where people say, what kind of loving God lets something like this happen, right? Why does he allow this? Why does he allow that? And we don't know. We don't know how God is working. But, you know, Scripture says God is not the author of evil, so we don't get to blame God for it either. Because he didn't stop it. All the, you know, all these people died in this, this earthquake or this mass shooting or whatever. You know, where's God with all this, all these awful things that are going, are going on here on earth? And so they say there is no God. No loving God would let this happen. And then I meant to, I'll get, this is the flip side. When you've got wealth, when you've got notoriety, when you've you got a whole bunch of kids and they're all healthy and successful and your life just doesn't really have any problems. Everybody's got problems, but let's just say life is pretty good to you. You're successful, you're super wealthy, and you think, and at those times, whether you verbalize it or not, you think, I don't need God. I'm, I did this. I earned this money. Look, I, I'm a billionaire. Let's just say you're a billionaire. I got 10,000 people that work for me. Anything of earthly significance, I could get on the phone and have it like that. And in that, in times like that, one of, in those parable of the soils, Jesus talks about people turn away from God. Either you're angry with him and you think he's not there when you're in pain, or you've got so much... In your life of earthly value, you forget about God or think you don't need him or think it's all about you. So you can you can be, fall away from God with either one of those things in times of plenty or times of want. And I think it's important to remember, you know, when things are going good that we thank God. I've got to rem- remind myself of that. And when times are painful, we have to remember that, God still loves us, God still hears our prayers, and God is not punishing us. And I think it's okay to get angry with God, He's got big enough shoulders, He can take it. And sometimes it's just a natural reaction it's the falling away from God that's the problem. But the anger with God, yeah, how many, you know, how many. How many guys in scripture, right, got either frustrated at the very least with God, Jonah, I I love the story of Jonah because it's so ironic, I guess is the word I'm looking for. Because Jonah is sent to, you know, bring God's word of either wrath or forgiveness to the people of Nineveh, and Jonah doesn't want him to take it. And when they all repent and are spared. Jonah's mad at God. He wanted them all to be destroyed. So, I mean, Moses, I don't think Moses necessarily gets mad with God, but he gets frustrated. And we all do. As long as that doesn't take us away to thinking there is no God, and that God doesn't love me, and that he's using this to hurt me because it humors him, or because he can there are people that think like that, too. Yeah, Dennis. With the when they were, uh, when they fell yeah. Can you not stay awake for just a little bit? The time is near. Now, they probably didn't understand the fullness of what that meant, but he did. You need to be ready. Because, I'm, I'm sorry, Helen, I, I forgot about it. Yeah. Helen said, Jesus asked them to be ready, and they weren't. Be prepared, and they weren't keeping watch. Pray that you don't fall into temptation, because things are about to test you. Life is about to become a lot different for you, because everything that I've told you, everything that I've predicted is about to start happening. And I think, you know, it's like when uh, either we... Or somebody we love might be diagnosed with a terminal illness. Let's say somebody we love, and we know they're going to pass away, and we think, "Okay, I'm prepared for it." But when it actually happens, I don't think you can prepare yourself for something like that. I'll be ready. I'm glad I knew because I'm now I'm ready, and I can I can fight. The pain won't be as bad. I won't miss them as much because I've gotten myself ready. But it doesn't work like that. Um, so. Jesus knows that. He knows that even though with his warnings, with all his predictions, I shouldn't use the word prediction because that sounds like something that might not come true. With all of his prophecy about what's going to happen, they either don't understand it or they don't want to hear it because it's not something that's pleasant. I'm going to suffer and die. No, no, I don't. that's not how I want this to happen. I don't want you to go away. So, no matter how Jesus prepares them, they're not ready. And I don't think any of us are truly ready, especially for this. Yes? I think the hardest prayer is the last seven, of first 30 seconds. If yes, not, you have what I will for what you want. I think I have that in here. Um, Have you ever been afraid to pray God's will be done knowing that it won't be how we would have things work out? I, it frightens me all the time because I know that God, in some manner in our lives, works through hardship, works through hardship, pain, suffering, and when th- things that might test our faith to bring us to some other place where it has accomplishes his purposes. But I tell you what, I want God to do his will with me pain-free. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to have to be like, oh, I will march to death with you. I don't want to have to do that. I don't want to have to lose people I love to have my faith, my faith tested. Yeah, I'm all about pain-free. But like you said, that's not always the way God works in our lives here on earth. So, yeah, I get, I get fearful of praying that, even though I know it's going to happen anyway. And Jesus did too. Which is why he was in such agony. Because I believe being God in the flesh, he knew that that burden wasn't going to be lifted from him. And he knew that his love for us was so powerful that he wouldn't walk away from saving us from eternal loss. Can you imagine that? Feeling the pain of having to give yourself up for somebody you love. But you love him so much, you know you're not you you know you're not going to try and save yourself. You're going to walk through that pain and whatever you have to face to take care of the person that you love. Yeah, Dennis. I used that in a sermon illustration on Easter. Um, Guys that, Dennis was talking about guys in the military in combat that, that sacrifice themselves, whether they dive on a grenade or draw fire so that their team and their guys will live, even if it means they die. Now, I'm sure... That is not how they would want things to work out if they could have all everybody live, but that's not the choice they have. It's me or all of us. But you've got to think about Jesus here too. Jesus is perfect and innocent and sinless and has never done anything to deserve any bad thing happen to him. And he's going to willingly walk to suffer God's wrath for all of us that deserve all of it. And I don't think he was angry at us for having to do that. But I think he felt the pain and he knew what was about to happen. But his love for us was so great, he wasn't going to turn away from that. Because he wanted to do his father's will. And a perfect, loving God was going to do that. Okay. I've got why did Jesus ask? But okay, we've got we've kind of gone through that. Um, this is the one cup none of us could drink. It's more than just giving His life. How so? And I think we've answered that. You know, it's not just about one human being dying for the sake of others. I know that's kind of how we put it as pastors, but I think we minimize it when we say it just like that. Because, like as Dennis said, you know, other men, women have died so that someone else could live. But this is completely different. Okay, and we've gotten here. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. How does this look in our lives? We're faithful people. We want to remain faithful, but we live in a broken body of sin. So we get tempted. We get mad. We get jealous. Our spirit wants to do God's will. Our spirit wants to do. I don't want to say do what he commands, but because we can't earn our salvation. But we want to live lives pleasing for God. Not to earn anything, because that's been done on the cross. But in order to live lives of thanksgiving for what he's done for us. But the spirit is not like the flesh. The flesh caves. The flesh... Vows to temptation. The, the, the flesh barks at people uh, when we're angry. The flesh forgets about God sometimes when things here are good or when they're awful. But that's why God is constantly renewing that spirit in our hearts and lifting us up when we think we can't possibly sink any lower. Usually it's when we start coming up. Okay, so, and I say, oh, but remember Jesus promised to remain faithful th- through all this, even when all others would fall away. Um, and we talked about how being flesh and blood plays into Jesus' request to have the burden taken from him. It wasn't, it wasn't a desire not to save us, but it was a feeling of human agony and spiritual agony that he didn't, couldn't bear at the moment. Let me see if there's a note here. Sometimes I'm curious how other people explain this. 36. Okay, this is what my note says here about take the cup from me. While praying, Jesus was aware of what doing the Father's will would cost him. He understood the suffering that was about to he was about to encounter and did not want to endure the horrible experience. But Jesus prayed, not what I will, but you will. Anything worth having costs something. What does your commitment to God cost you? So they didn't really explain it other than, you know, other than how I put it and we put it, uh, that it was a human, his human nature that was feeling the pain and the fear of what was about to take place. Okay, so when the time comes, Jesus says the hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Even in his agony, he prepares his disciples for what lies ahead. Do you ever see God do this in your life? Have you ever felt, maybe it's usually after the fact that you realize this, that God has prepared you for something um, that you were going to need extra strength for to get through? Yes. Mm hmm. So, you said that your mom, when she was ill, said she wanted to go home. And your dad knew that that was preparing all of you for where she was going to be. Oh, okay. Oh, so you saying your mom's passing prepared him for his own, kind of. Okay. Prepared you for, for losing... No, of course not, yeah. But I knew where they were, and so that when I would get down, depressed, you know. You would remer- you'd remember those words, right? Yep. Yeah. But still, <laughs> and they died. 20 years, 20 plus years ago, my mom and my dad was 18. Wow, okay. So, yeah, I think sometimes in our lives when things go wrong or whatever pain, we we look back and we think, you know what? God was was working whatever was going on before that to prepare me for this. Not to make it so it didn't hurt, but to lift me up so I'd have the power, his power, to get through it, to to be able to remain faithful uh, through, through such a painful time. You know, I think about when Jesus tells Peter, you know, Satan's asked to sift you as wheat, but I pray for you and you're going to be restored. It's going to be okay. You're going to fall away, but I am preparing you for what's about to happen. For your own denial and for being able to get through what's about to happen to me. Even though three days later, Things are going to be a little bit different. Okay. what? We don't have a whole lot of time to get through Judas, but what do you make of the betrayer? Judas Iscariot. And I said, tough one there. We've talked about this in here before. Um, I mean, all the disciples fell away. Judas gets put in a whole different category. You know, uh, Jesus calls him a devil. Jesus said it was better if he was never born. Um, We know Judas felt bad because he gave back the silver and then hung himself. himself. Was that actual repentance or was it just despair? You know, and Pastor Dan thinks Judas will be in heaven. I don't. No, not because I don't think he's... is beyond redemption just because of what the Bible says. I mean, it talks about him like this guy is, is damned from birth, but I think we have to look at it more as God's foreknowledge and not his predetermination that I'm going to send this guy to hell. And, but it's a hard thing for me to work through. He needed a fall. He needed somebody to fulfill this prophecy. Could be, it could be. But it is the most. It's something I don't have an answer to. You know, it, It's not like he sinned and didn't care. He was upset and felt horrible about it. Um, was he lost eternally? I and I'm asking questions I can't answer um, because you know all the disciples lost faith. All of them turn their back. Oh, Peter's like, oh, I don't know that guy. I don't know necessarily betrayal, but, you know, it's it's not faithfulness. All right. We're called to bear our own cross, but the one Jesus carried is the one that no other human being was worthy to carry. Not only could we not endure it. I mean, if Jesus is begging for the burden to be lifted from him in the garden, imagine what we would be, I don't even think we would live through something like that because of the agony. Number two, the only one that could bear the sacrifice for the sins of mankind is somebody who was without blemish, perfectly innocent, having never sinned. So not only could we not carry the cross because we couldn't that he did because we wouldn't be able to, we're not worthy. We're not a worthy sacrifice. So, the cross Jesus asks us to carry, that he asks us to bear, is nothing compared to the one he did. So, he's asking us to carry little because he carried the huge load. And that brings us to the end of our time. Thank you, everybody. But before we go, Last week I want to talk a little bit about no, I'm good without it. Okay. (laughs)